0: hello and welcome to the home assistant podcast this is episode 47 and today we're talking about streaming cameras everywhere and 0.91 as usual i've got phil joining me today hey phil hey how's it going good and we've also got jason joining us today hey jason hey how's it going good thanks all right this episode is sponsored by home assistant cloud by nabakasa easily and securely access your local home assistant instance remotely for a small monthly fee that also supports the Home Assistant project. The configuration is done by the user interface, so there's no fiddling with router settings, SSL certificates, or any YAML.
1: So Jason, you are responsible for TensorFlow and all these cool tweets we've been seeing from Paulus with live streaming. It's going to be very interesting chatting to you a bit later about everything you're using Home Assistant for. Yeah, looking forward to it. All right, uh, first of all, we should, before we get into the zero nine one release, think past couple of weeks it's just been uh, crazy with some things going on in the community and we need to give a a couple of shout outs first one is uh, the vs code extension for home assistant so uh, i know i mentioned this a couple of episodes ago uh, when we were talking about the has cli i wanted like an extension for the visual studio code that is now being created and it's available in the extensions marketplace And it's awesome. So if you haven't already, do check it out. Even if you're not using Visual Studio Code, it might be a good reason to look into it. I use it daily when I'm coding, so if you don't use it already, it might be worth checking out. And going along with that, and this is how awesome Frank is as well, I think within a couple of days of the VS Code extension coming out, there is now a web version of the VS Code editor, And that is now an extension for HASSIO. And if you install that extension, it will install a web editor where you can use uh, all the goodies of Visual Studio Code inside your browser, and it will also ship with the VS Code extension for Home Assistant, pre-installed and pre-configured to talk to your HASSIO instance. So yeah, that's really cool. Thanks, uh, Frank, for getting that out so quickly. And I think uh, that yeah. extension is only available on the Intel Nook devices. It's not compatible if you're using a Raspberry Pi just because of the architecture that VS Code needs. But, yeah, that's awesome.
2: Yeah, and you can actually install the the extension, you know, on VS Code on on your computer as well. So if you use it uh, locally, and, and Keys did a, an awesome job on that. You know, we,
1: yeah. we'd, we'd reached yeah. out
2: a couple of times, uh, you know, asking you know, can someone can someone build something like this for us? And, and Keys responded and, and took up the challenge. I think it was just a couple of days later that that he launched it. So the autocomplete for, for entities is is really cool.
1: Yeah, I think it's up to Last Project Checked the Version. Like there's been three releases since then with people just suggesting features. And I think there is a, a GitHub repo if you've got any feature suggestions or you want to help out in the development there. We'll leave some links in the show notes as well
0: yeah and and pseudo related uh well not really related to vs code but uh in terms of uh just shout out to the community also if you haven't seen it if you haven't heard about it the home assistant ios app uh we had robbie on the show a while ago essentially the 2.0 beta is is out uh it's coming it's already here uh available to the public and uh as part of that, uh, Robbie's also adding a tip chart, uh, which links to essentially uh, his Patreon and uh, I believe Apple uh, payment as well, if you, if you choose to uh, donate to the cause. So thanks a lot, Robbie. I mean, he spends a, a lot of time uh, that, well, there's a lot of time that goes into building the iOS app. And uh, the app itself is free as, as always, and and you know tipping just goes towards Robbie. So uh, he's uh, he, again, like I said, he spends a lot of time. So thanks a lot, Robbie, and uh, thanks to that team.
1: All right. So here it is, the next release, 091. and <laughs> someone else that we've had on the podcast, uh, Otto Winter uh, back is who's done a lot of work with mm-hmm. ESP Home. There is now a new ESP Home camera platform and jason i'm i'm sure this has got to somehow tie in with all the tensorflow stuff and stream stuff you've been working on as well so it's cool to see another camera platform and also those esp home library is just going all like it's so popular so good to see some more stuff being added there
0: yeah it's it's uh, again it's one of those things right where it's it's a uh, huge uh, help for a lot of people that 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 are getting into this and that want to build their own sensors and things like that. So,
1: mm.
0: yeah, and it's uh it's really
2: cool to see that because again, ESP8266s are, are so cheap, and so it's a yeah. easy way to kind of have a, a DIY you know Wi-Fi enabled camera. Um, you know that ESP8266s aren't powerful enough to provide a, a live stream, so uh, I think it's just going to be image snapshots uh, coming in through. But you can still process those image snapshots through, you know, an, an image processing platform to to do object detection and things like that. If your uh, Home Assistant installation is on a, a more powerful device, so
0: it'll be cool nice. to
2: see. Yeah.
0: Also, uh, if you use a Freebox router, uh, there's a new switch uh, in Home Assistant to turn on and off uh, the Freebox router itself. So yeah, so you can basically say, if nobody's home, from a security perspective, hey, you know what, turn off the Wi-Fi, right? That may or may not affect some other things. Again, if you have Wi-Fi devices, like let's say you have a Wemo or something like that. So you may want to use that with a bit of caution. But but uh, the option is there, should you so
1: choose. That's pretty cool from a, a security point of view, I guess. Uh, yeah. It just sucks that there's so many IoT gadgets that, are, that do require Wi-Fi. But I guess, you know, if you have no use for those devices while you're out of the house, then that's a good automation you can set up.
0: Well, exactly. I mean, if, if all of your automation is based on ZigBee, Z-Wave or something else, then then maybe this is a great option for you, right? There's, uh, I know yeah. just reading through forums and stuff, there's a lot of people out there that just use legacy wires and go with the wired setup. So great. Um, in that case, then if you have a free box router, you can totally use
1: this. And another new platform is the TFIAC Climate Platform. So this is uh, similar, I'm going to sort of put it in the same ballpark as the 2-year component. It's mm-hmm. a like a, a white-label app that you can install on your Android phone that enables you to uh, control some compatible climate platforms. And I believe some brands that are available to be controlled by this app are TCL and Johnson, which I think might be in the UK. So if you're using the TFIAC uh, app on your Android phone to control your climate there is now a component in Home Assistant allowing you to uh, get rid of the app and just c- control everything through Home Assistant. Very cool.
0: Um, also, so there's new switches uh, added to support on the uh, Daikin air base zones. So essentially, if your ducted heating has a zone controller, you can now use uh, Home Assistant to control
1: those. That's cool. Yeah. And in some other little updates around the place, the great migration has now been completed in Home Assistant. I know this was causing a lot of breaking changes for custom components over the past few releases, and I think Paul has mentioned it in the last episode when he was on. So basically, all the components from this release have now been moved over to the new file structure, and you'll now, if you are using custom components, you will need to make sure that they are in the same sort of file directory structure that if they overwrite any existing home assistant components. Uh because they won't work uh in the next release of Home Assistant Art, I don't think. So make sure you rename those.
0: Yeah, I, I, I do love the the fact that it's called the Great Migration. <laughs> Me too. that's um, <laughs> I, I I just think that's really cool. Also there's a new AWS component. So if th- there's there's different components and such uh for AWS today that are being merged into one single component. So that'll cover things like the AWS Notify platform and so on. And uh, essentially, this this piece will uh, supersede all of those.
1: So I think there's going to be a broken change, which we'll be talking about in a few episodes time, I'm sure. Yeah. And Netgear LTE routers can now accept incoming SMS messages, which is awesome. So if you've got a Netgear LTE router and you send it an SMS, an event will be fired in-home assistant to say, hey, an SMS was received. And there's also a new service allowing you to delete the SMS messages that are stored on the router's inbox. Uh, so, you know, you don't run out of memory there. So, that's really cool. Can you imagine, like, being able to, if you're out of, like, away from home or something, just being able to SMS your house and say, hey, like, turn on the AC, I'm, I'm coming home. Yeah, yeah. So
0: That is that is kind of useful.
1: I guess a lot of people can do this with, like, the bots or whatever that are out there, like Telegram bots. But, I don't know, SMS is available everywhere, so, you know, you don't need to install an app, you know, you just SMS a phone number and there it is, you can have Home Assistant do something.
0: Yeah, it's it's universal. I, uh, I a while ago, I was working on a project where uh, it was involving uh, 4G and LTE, whatever. And uh, as part of that, I actually made a script to reboot routers or get a status on if the routers up, down, whatever that is, just by texting a thing. Right. So this is to me, this is this is really cool. Now that I can start taking that and pushing that to Home Assistant and, and uh, using that that way. Yeah, absolutely. So ironically, though, uh, talking the, ne- the next very next item is uh, talking about breaking changes, and uh, the Netgear LTE component <laughs> has actually been moved to its own component. Uh, so, uh, so if you, if you are using this and you do want to do all that cool stuff, uh, you need to adjust your config files, uh, to use, use it for device tracking and things like that.
1: And I know one that's going to affect a lot of people just, and it's going to affect me just because how popular the dark sky weather platform is, but the dark sky now has support for hourly forecasts, which allow you to basically get, you know, what's happening in the next three hours or what's going to happen next hour. What's the temperature going to be? Uh, because of this, if you're using daily forecasts, those entity IDs will now be changed to have a lowercase d on the end of the entity ID uh, to denote that they are a daily forecast sensor. So, if you are using the dark sky to get your daily forecast for the current day or even, you know, the next few days, you will have to update your entity IDs in your config.
0: Yeah. Also, uh, from a Z-Wave perspective, if you use a USB-based Z-Wave uh, radio, then uh, if you if you have a USB path set in your config, uh, there'll be some things to watch out for. So, essentially, if you have it set in your config.yaml file, uh, that will actually be treated as the main USB path. And if you have anything else set in the configuration interface, uh, it'll over the, the configuration file will override this. So, just uh, be aware of that. I'm sure this will affect quite a few people as well um, that use uh, Z-Wave USB uh, sticks.
1: And here's an interesting one for iOS users. Uh, And you're sort of of like, oh, yeah, I guess that kind of makes sense. So, previously, the iOS component would mark a phone that isn't charging. uh, It would be marked in Home Assistant as unplugged. And now, of course, this doesn't really make sense now that the iPhones have finally got wireless (laughs) charging capability. Welcome to 2010, everyone. Um, So from this release, when an iOS device isn't charging, Home Assistant will report its state as not charging uh, as opposed to unplugged. So if you are relying on that in some automations, you will need to just uh, do a fine replace on unplugged and just replace it with not charging.
0: Also, uh, Ye lights have moved to their own platform, so it uh, it didn't make sense to add it to the standard light component as they're doing some other stuff with, uh, with that platform as well. So just to give you that capability, um, that has been moved to its own platform. So
1: yeah, I think well, Ye lights, which are from Xiaomi, they're pretty popular. So I think this one's going to yeah. be a pretty decent breaking change for everyone. The GTFS sensor, which we talked about in a couple of episodes ago, which is for public transport. Uh, previously, those sensors would report the number of minutes until the next departure. However, if the next period is longer than a few hours, so let's say your next departure might not be for 12 hours, it doesn't really make sense to have you know that number of minutes uh, displaying in your front end. So from now on, uh, and from this release, the GTF sensor is going to be using a date-time object, which will allow uh, things like the front end to display number of hours or number of minutes uh, more nicely to the user. So if you're using those in templates or sensors, you will need to just either use templates to extract the date time and do your own sort of calculation on it. Um, And yeah, just watch out for that.
0: Also last one, um, Axis communication devices. So if you use uh, any security devices from Axis, so like things like Axis cameras and so on, uh, it's being moved away from the YAML files. And instead uh, you would use the integrations panel in the UI to actually configure it. So there's a few other notes that come with this. Um, we're not going to go into the details. So just have a look at the uh, release notes for that and uh, check it out in the break and change.
1: Um, so, Jason, here we go. It's like usually we we have a guest on and they've done one sort of cool thing with Home Assistant and we just get to pick their brain about that. But you've actually done a, a couple of cool things. We've, we've mentioned uh, TensorFlow and you've you've done the the stream component. <laughs> I I just don't know where to begin. Like so, tell tell us just <laughs> tell us your story. What what, what's made you do TensorFlow and, and what's made you do the stream components? Like, obviously, you've got a use case for them. So, so what are they? Yeah,
2: absolutely. So, uh, I guess I'll kind of start at the beginning. I found Home Assistant, you know, probably been a little over a year ago now. Um, the first thing I did actually wasn't wasn't TensorFlow or the stream component. I uh, was playing around a little bit with building a, a custom component around uh, the Xbox of so being able to to you know control my Xbox was the the initial. Idea, and it was because I was mm-hmm. laying in bed, and you know <laughs> I didn't want to reach over and grab the controller in order to do something, right? Yeah. So I was playing around with <laughs> with that a little bit, and um, you know, kind of found a couple of things online, and then was like, "All right, well, okay, I've got some cool little scripts in order to do this now, but how can I make this more useful so like my wife can do something with it as well?" That's what I found: Home Assistant, and uh, and you know the media player component, and kind of built it in as a a custom media player component. Well, you know, it took me a long time to to kind of build that out and then as as I was doing that you know we moved uh moved into a new house and you know I I got on the home automation train uh just even building something that wasn't you know your your standard home automation stuff you know usually people start with lights I started with how do I control my Xbox <laughs> <laughs> so you know, when I when I bought my house, I was like, you know what, I'm I'm going to go kind of to full bore when I when I bought the new house. I was like, I won't do it on on the old house. I'll, I'll wait till we get the new one. So moved in, and um, I'd already done a whole bunch of research and decided to buy, you know, Z Wave lights and stuff like this. But a lot of the justification for spending the time for for my wife uh, was was home security. So she has been trying to get us to to get a. You know, security alarm system from you know ADT or one of the other providers uh, for for quite some time, and you know, I just told her that I can't justify a, a monthly monitoring fee when you know, it, it, yeah, sure, we get a discount on insurance, but those things are, are crazy expensive, and I didn't want to have to to spend all that kind of money on it. So I said, sure. "What if I spend a couple hundred dollars and put up cameras in our new house, and it'll alert us on our phones whenever something happens, right?" And we can you know, kind of do a, a DIY solution versus, you know, paying for, for monthly monitoring and exorbitant fees, you know, because obviously the security companies like to sell you home automation stuff as well. Uh, yeah. But the the prices are are much higher. So that was kind of the, the initial justification. And then kind of when I, you know, I started with, you know, standard cameras, adding it to HA, I used MotionEye uh, in order to handle the recordings and had the Motion detection on the cameras send alerts on our iPhones. Well, that lasted about a week before I just got completely fed up with all of the false alarms. Yeah, cloud cover. All of a sudden, I get an alert on my phone, and you know, the tree blew in the wind. All of a sudden, I get an alert (laughs) on my phone. I got to a point where one day I just like I was like, okay, I'm not going to clear any of these alerts, and I'm going to see how many I get a day, and there were over like 150 alerts um, on my phone. I was like, well, this isn't useful for you know, for security at all. Because if I'm getting all of these alerts, then I'm just going to ignore them. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, yeah, Same thing thing with my wife. So I was like, there has to be a better way. Uh, You know, and all of, uh, you know, I looked at Blue Iris. I looked at a couple of the other popular, you know, NVR platforms. And, you know, none of them really had any really good smart alerting or smart motion detection built into them. And so I did a little bit more research and I found... You know, AWS Recognition, which, you know, Robin uh, has, has actually built a custom component using AWS Recognition, which is basically the TensorFlow component, but it runs in Amazon's cloud. And it's about 10 times faster because it runs in the cloud and doesn't, you know, take up resources on your local machine. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to, to stick with something local, right? I didn't necessarily want to send my security footage up to, to the cloud in order to, to process these images. But I also didn't want to get alerted when a tree blew in the wind. So TensorFlow is a, a very popular machine learning library, you know, developed by Google. Um, it's used for a heck of a lot more things than just just object detection. But you know, they have open source object detection models uh, available already, and so these models are trained uh, off of an image data set that that Microsoft has actually collected, and they can detect uh, like ninety. I think it's like ninety different items, you know, to the point where it's like toothbrushes, chairs, potted plants, that kind of stuff. But oh, wow. the the more important ones, the ones that I cared about was person, car, truck, bicycle, right? Yeah. Um, I wanted to see, you know, what would happen. And so I kind of started working on that and, and, you know, building it into to Home Assistant. And, you know, it worked a heck of a lot better than, you know, I thought that it would initially and decided that I wanted to, to contribute that back to the Home Assistant core. So that was really my first... My first core contribution was was that TensorFlow um, object detection um, library. And, you know, now I have get zero false alarms. Um, so I still have the alerts. And I use I use Robbie's awesome iOS app in order to get those push notifications sent to me with the actionable notifications so that, you know, if I get something and I see it and I'm like, hey, this person's not right, you know, I can use, um, you know, text-to-speech or something in order to, you know, when I push a button on the notification, my house says, you know, Intruder detected. Get out of here, or whatever. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so that was kind of the the initial, you know, the initial piece of it. But I still had motion eye kind of running in the background, you know, because a Home Assistant doesn't have any any recordings. I was getting a snapshot image, right, an image taken uh, or a picture taken of, of that thing, and that picture was being sent to me. I tried to initially send the live feed um, over the stream, but by the time I got the notification, the the person or the thing was already gone. Right, and so you know, with TensorFlow, I was able to send the the picture of what it actually detected, and, and that was okay. But I was still using MotionEye in order to actually do the recordings, right, in order to uh, take clips. But you know, all of a sudden, my hard drive was starting to fill up because MotionEye was still recording everything: trees blowing, yeah. you know, cloud coverage, etc. And so I didn't really have any. Video recordings. I would have to look at the timestamp of the snapshots that were taken and try and match them up with the recordings. And so, that's when I came up with the crazy idea, and it, and it absolutely was crazy because it took me a couple of months of research and, and building in order to get streamed to, to where it is today. But you know, the idea of hey, can we have live streams in Home Assistant? And and Paulus, you know, kind of held my hand through through a lot of it. So I appreciate you know all of the dedication that he has to helping me make it a, a reality, but, you know, I have all these grand ideas of where I want it to go and what I want it to be. And, you know, he's hammering in MVP, MVP in my head the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so we initially launched it and, you know, it was just HLS only, which is HTTP live streaming. It's an in, in Apple format, uh, which is good because it's supported by Chromecast as well. And it's also supported by all of the, the major web browsers so that you can get live streams uh, with a little bit of a delay in your, uh, you know, in your front end as well. But this release is really what I was shooting for, and that's the the new recording service that that's going to come out with zero point uh, nine one. So you know, cameras already had a, a snapshot service that you could call in an automation in order to, you know, one of your motion sensors goes off and you can trigger a, a snapshot um, on the the camera. Well. You know, again, I already had snapshots with TensorFlow, and you know that wasn't really enough for me. So I built uh, built the record service, and, and that was one of my my main goals all along. Was if my camera, you know, I use Hikvision cameras, and there's the Hikvision component that ties into the camera's motion detection. So if I get a motion detection event uh, from my camera, and then I run that through TensorFlow in order to say, hey, is this motion detection event? real or not right is there a person or a car uh, or something that i care about in the image and then that says yeah actually there is a person in here uh now i can just say okay camera.record and then it'll record a 30 second clip uh and and i'll have an actual video feed of of that event happening Uh, and one of the cool things is since uh, it uses the same thing that the the live stream component does we save actually you know 10 to 15 seconds of previous video kind of in memory on your your home assistant device as well so there's an option on this new record service for look back so tensorflow takes about a second or or so depending on your hardware on a raspberry pi it takes a couple of seconds yeah uh and it takes you know it it takes a little bit of time in order to take that image snapshot and process it and try and figure out is there a person or not uh, in this recording and the motion detection you know it might it might come a little late. It might you know, trigger as the person's walking out of the frame, right? Um, but since we have 10 to 15 seconds of, of live video in, in the backlog, you can say, you know what, camera.record for 30-second duration and look back 10 seconds. And that means that you'll have a 40-second clip of 10 seconds before you called the record service and 30 seconds after.
1: Okay, well, That's pretty handy, actually. Yeah. I've got a, a ring... Doorbell, and sometimes you'll get an emotional alert, and you know it's just the person walking out of the frame, sort of thing. So, I can definitely see that being useful.
2: Yep, that's that's exactly what we're trying to prevent. Is the hey, you get an alert of someone walking away, right? So, with the look back, you can get to, you get to kind of prepend them walking up as well. So,
0: yeah, and 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 you're saying it's only a couple of seconds of delay between uh, like to do actually do the look up and to trigger the record. So you detect emotion that image or stream gets passed to tensorflow and then tensorflow does its thing and goes, yes, human. And then, and then passes on the, the triggers a record. So that you're saying that only takes a couple of seconds.
2: Yeah. That, that, uh, on, I'm, I'm using a, I five, nuc, uh, not okay. I five eight for, for running home assistant. Um, and then I'm using, uh, I'm not using the mobile tensorflow model. I'm using one of the, uh, more accurate ones, right? So, Im- image processing, image detection. There's a trade-off or, uh, between accuracy and speed, mm-hmm. and that's the the main thing. Obviously, if you you want it to be more accurate, it's going to take a lot longer to to have it figure out. You know, is this real or not? Absolutely. And so, it takes an average of of one to one and a half seconds uh, on my machine from the point that I call image processing dot scan, on the camera mm-hmm. until TensorFlow comes back with a result that says, yeah, there's two people and three cars in this picture.
1: So if you're so you're running this through your your Nook, is there a correlation with the number of cameras you have connected to how much resources that will consume? So if I've got, you know, 10 cameras around my house all streaming through Home Assistant to do this uh, detection of people is that going to have more of an effect than if I just had one camera?
2: It depends on on how it's configured. First off, I would recommend not to try and do uh, any TensorFlow object detection on a Raspberry Pi. While it's technically possible, the results aren't going to be great. Yeah, <laughs> the uh, especially if you have anything else running. If you're running, you know, virtual environment. Unfortunately, with with TensorFlow, it's it's also very difficult to install. All of these machine learning. Libraries are very like system specific, so unfortunately, we weren't really able to to release an add-on for for Hasio, and for for TensorFlow. So it's really if you're running it in a V environment or uh, the official Docker image, um, I do have a, a custom because I am running Hasio on on my NUC as well, and I have a, a AMD sixty four image, uh, just a custom uh, custom add-on that installs TensorFlow on the on Hasio, but. You know, it's it's not available on the, the Raspberry Pi, and I, I probably wouldn't recommend trying to run it on a Raspberry Pi. If you're wanting to do mm-hmm. image processing, an old laptop will probably work just fine. Um, you know, it don't have to be a super crazy expensive system. But yeah,
0: well, it it, it it does. This kind of stuff does take quite a bit of cycles, right? So yep, uh, yeah. If you, if you if if I look
2: at the resource usage on uh, on on my NUC when it's actually trying to scan an image. Uh, it pegs the CPU for that entire second and a half that it's trying to to figure it out. So mm-hmm. it's it's resource intensive, and and so the recommendation is uh, set the scan interval, uh, the default scan interval of the component to something crazy like uh, ten thousand seconds, so it'll actually only run the scan once every ten thousand seconds. But then use your uh, other motion detection binary sensors. So I don't if you have a motion detector or if you have, you know, your camera reporting the motion events, uh, use that to trigger the image processing service. Right, and so that way you're only using those resources when you need to. Um, the cool thing about the stream component too is you'd, you'd think that the the live stream component would be pretty resource intensive as well. But I had, uh, you know, someone in the the beta ta- uh, channel, Daniel Shikui is his name, or D Shikui on uh, on Discord. Uh, was actually testing out, he had eight cameras running uh, on a Raspberry Pi 3B using the stream component, and it was only using 50% CPU. That's not bad. One of the main things that, that I was trying to do with stream is obviously make it accessible to all Home Assistant users. So while, while you need you know a, a much more powerful machine in order to run the image processing piece of, of my setup, getting live streams, you should be able to do that no problem with um, you know, with HASS.io on a, on a Raspberry Pi. And the the way that we built it as well is the streams are requested on demand. Mm. So by default, it's not trying to read your camera stream every time as soon as you boot up Home Assistant. It's only when you call the play stream service or the record service or open up the more info dialogue of your camera in the front end that it actually goes to request that stream.
0: Right, so by, by default, it's not playing like... Again, like you open a YouTube video and it just starts playing, kind of thing, right? It's 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 paused or, or it's screenshot until you trigger it. Yep, exactly. Which, unfortunately, and this is you know, I kind of hinted at
2: the look back uh, piece as a part of the record service. Uh, unless you have an active stream going, you obviously won't have the ability to use that look back. Right. which is why in, in 0.91 as well, for those of us who do have more powerful machines that are, that are running this, and again, it's, it's not really resource intensive at all. You can do this on, on a Raspberry Pi, but I'd say, you know, do this at, at your own risk. But um, there's going to be a new preload stream option uh, in 0.91 as well. So what that's going to be is if you go into the front end um, and you click on the stream and open it up, there'll be a new checkbox. It's probably going to be on the top right of the stream. And if you check that, whenever you restart Home Assistant or open the stream again, it's going to keep that that stream alive. And so that means that right now there's a timeout, you open it up, and it runs for five minutes. And it's like, hey, if I haven't been used in five minutes, go ahead and shut this down so that I don't use any more resources. Um, But with the preload stream, it makes it much faster to load as well. So you'll probably notice um, in 0.90, if you've loaded the stream, you know, whenever you click on, on the image and it pulls up uh, in the camera, it could take, you know, five, six, you know, maybe even 10 seconds to load depending on your camera. Uh, the preload stream will make that pop up instantly. And then same thing if you're trying to cast it to a Chromecast device, uh, it'll load on that Chromecast device a lot faster as well because we'll have kind of pre-buffered that video um, in, in Home Assistant as well.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. So I'm guessing then this is only going to be available for certain types of cameras. So I mentioned before I've got a a ring camera, a ring doorbell, I'm guessing I'm not going to be able to use, uh, this component to be able to access that stream.
2: Yeah. So with, uh, the types of cameras, you know, initially in in 0.90, we released it, um, and you know, it supported the, the generic IP camera as well as the, the Amcrest component. Um, in this release, we're going to be adding more platforms, uh, and actually we're still looking at all of the camera platforms to see which platforms actually do provide a live stream. Um, so the Ring doorbell is one that unfortunately doesn't expose uh, a live stream uh, through their API. So right. it only gives you the ability to look at you know, past recording clips or past recorded clips. And in Home Assistant, that's what it shows. It shows you know, the latest clip um, that was recorded on the, the ring doorbell. Uh, unfortunately, the same thing with, I have a, a Nest Hello doorbell. And right now, uh, the official Nest API doesn't provide a, a live stream either. It only gives you the ability to take a, a snapshot once every or twice every minute or something like that. Right. Unless right. you sign up for Nest Aware. Um, so there's going to definitely be some cameras that, that aren't supported, but any camera uh, that has a RTSP URL, Real time, real time streaming protocol is what yep. it stands for. In case you were wondering, or even you know a SRTP, uh, or I don't know any of the real time protocols. So like Blue Iris, for example, if you have any cameras in Blue Iris, uh, Blue Iris actually provides a live feed as well in an HLS format. So Home Assistant is streaming HLS format to the front end, but you can also use Blue Iris as an input to. Uh, to Home Assistant, and uh, I can probably send you guys a link to to put in the the show notes. But there's actually a post on the community forum uh, right now under the configuration section um, that is kind of confirmed working configurations among uh, many different cameras.
0: Oh, oh that perfect. would be handy. Yeah, please, we yeah. can we can add that.
1: So, how was working with Paulus when developing this component? I know you mentioned before you had a lot of back and forwards about MVP.
2: Yeah, I mean, hey, Paulus is is a great person to work with. Really, um, you know, I'm I'm an experienced engineer, and uh, but I'm not experienced in in the Home Assistant code base. So that's really what it what it boils down to is, you know, I bounce an idea off of Paulus of, hey, how would I do this in Home Assistant, right? And it's the in Home Assistant part that uh, that uh, he was actually really able to to help with. Um, so yeah. it's a, uh, it's good to have someone knowledgeable and especially available. Uh, in order to be able to answer those kinds of questions, because the last thing that I wanted to do, um, the the pull request on on stream had one hundred and eighty four comments, I think, before it was time to be merged. <laughs> wow. And there's only one hundred and eighty four comments on the poll request. In Discord, there was like a thousand questions <laughs> uh, and a <laughs> thousand comments. And um, so I definitely knew that it was something that I wanted to reach out to you know to the core team before trying to contribute back because, it's definitely a big pull request. There's a lot of work that that went into it, and it can be overwhelming sure. to to look at you know a thousand lines of code and try and figure out what does this do. And especially time consuming. Um, you know, I spent you know about a month or so on it, and Paul has probably spent a good week <laughs> you know just answering questions or mm-hmm. giving me feedback and and helping me iterate so that uh, that it actually make it through. I actually looked back and. It, all of the contributions I've made to Home Assistant, Paulus has actually been the one that that, that have merged in, which is a little uh, a little bit concerning. Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've got a lot of lot of people that are contributing, and and Paulus does a great job keeping up and kind of even mentoring some of the, um, you know, to, to get some of the things that that he likes to see kind of pushed through and across yeah. the finish line.
0: Mm-hmm. So how how long have you been playing with things like TensorFlow and, and all of these pieces here? Like, is is that something that you picked up just for this or?
2: A hundred percent picked up just for this, which yeah. uh, is, you know, again, my wife has been extremely patient, overly patient with me <laughs> <laughs> because it's been a, a lot of nights and weekends of, uh, you know, figuring out, yeah. you know, what how audio and video streams work. And I know a lot more about AV streams than than I ever did before. And I really, <laughs> really don't care to <laughs> to have that knowledge. Uh, same thing with TensorFlow with and, and object detection. I've never done anything with machine learning before kind of working on that. So it was definitely a, a learn as I go.
1: So what are you... So you've got all this machine learning now and I'm just imagining like your house is like... Unbreakable in like you would just be future like the future is your house right now with all these spying cameras. What are you (laughs) using like these cameras for? Do you have like as soon as you walk up the house will recognize who you are and give you a nice greeting, or does it know to make you a coffee in the morning when when you're looking sleepy? Have you gone to that level?
2: No, so probably like almost every developer who contributes to Home Assistant, I'm sure that there are plenty of people in the community who have. A lot more elaborate setups than I do, <laughs> <laughs> and it's because uh, I, I've been spending a lot of my time actually working on on new features versus actually automating my own house. So, right. so my home assistant setup uh, uh, the Amazon devices throughout my house and uh, use those for controlling some things by voice. But I actually hate controlling things by voice. Um, I actually had uh, the the competitor product that starts with the G. For a little while, and I actually I stuck with the Amazon devices because you can put them in brief mode. Because one of the things I hated most was saying, "Hey, do something," and then it says, "Okay, I'm doing this." Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, with you know, with the Amazon devices, I'm able to say, "Hey, do something," and it just goes, "Bing," yeah. which is a little bit better.
1: Yeah, I like beforehand, and even though like that's brief mode on the Amazon Echo. Before that, it was just like all she would say was, "Okay." Like so, they've made yeah. it even briefer compared to obviously the Google Home,
2: <laughs> right? Um, so you know, I, I do do some things, and then I use the the iOS app uh, obviously a lot. And um, again, it's just it, it's really only if there's something out of reach. I've always got my phone on me, and so I've gotten lazier. I've got I've got Z way switches all over my house, um, and so. As I'm going to bed at night, I won't bother walking around the house and turning off the lights. I'll just go upstairs, get in bed, open the app, and hit the toggle to turn all the lights off. Um, But that's really, like, my automations are really sad. Uh, I haven't exposed my my Home Assistant config yet, but um, I can. Really, my automations are, um, the hallway in my garage is dark, um, even in the day. I don't have any windows in that hallway. So I've got a sensor I'm using uh, connected uh, to hook up the the wired sensors that are in my doors, and so when I open the garage door, it turns on the hallway light, and when I shut the garage door after forty five seconds, it turns the light back off, and then that's the only automation I have around lights.
0: <laughs> hey,
2: there's nothing wrong with that. I mean,
0: it's it's sometimes simple is good, right? I mean, it's it's funny because even hosting the podcast, like, there's a lot of people that are like oh man, you know, like what kind of stuff do you do? You must do some crazy stuff. No, I mean, (laughs) I have a couple of automations with lights. I've got like that kind of stuff too, right? Um, It it has to be usable, so. Exactly. So the
2: majority of my automations are really around what what I mentioned earlier is uh, sending notifications to my phone and my wife's phone uh, if motion is detected. And it's only, so I do have uh, uh, presence detection kind of set up. So it'll only alert us if neither of us are home. Right. And so basically it's, okay, motion uh, detected from one of the cameras, run it through TensorFlow. Okay. TensorFlow says there's a person in the backyard or there's a car in the driveway or there's a person in your foyer or whatever in in the different cameras that I have set up around the house. And then it'll say, okay, iOS.notify and then send that picture that that TensorFlow comes back with to, to our phones.
0: And so
1: I'm um, guessing that picture will only come back to you if no one of you, like if no one's home, like, cause.
2: Correct. Yeah. So I do have, well, on some of the cameras, so the, the inside cameras, obviously we don't get notifications if people are home. Um, yeah, right. I do still have notifications set up for uh, our driveway and our, and our backyard uh, cameras. Um, so that way I get, um, I d- at one point in time I had, I have the custom Alexa uh, component set up as well. So
0: I don't know how to set to that setting.
2: <laughs> oh man! See there?
1: See that was karma. That's there's right. car-
2: there's karma for you. Um, I have so I have the the that custom component set up. It's uh has a notify platform for that as well. So uh, I did at one point have it set up where if we we were home and there was a car detected in the driveway, then she would say you have a visitor in the driveway and, and kind of let us know about that. And then my wife would give me a sideways glance every time she did that. So I turned that, I turned that automation <laughs> off.
0: <laughs> Do you, have you, have you considered using uh, anything like open Alper or something like that to say, to recognize the license plate and then say, okay, based on, you know, ABC one, two, three, okay, that's my car. And you know, AAA one, two, three is my wife's car. So don't bother.
2: Yep. So I, I live in the, the lovely state of North Carolina and yeah. in the state of North Carolina, we don't have front license plates.
0: Ah, so <laughs> unless I was,
2: unless I was backing up my driveway, which I don't do very often, then, then that wouldn't be very helpful. Um, right. and then at the same time, you know, the, just the location of my camera, it's, it's about eight feet in the air looking down. Uh, and so not very, uh, not very good for being able to, you know, to, to pull read up the, the license right. plates. Yeah, um, yeah. so I was thinking about that at one point in time, I was like, well, do I s- install a, you know, a small camera near my mailbox? at the right level for license plates that as people are driving up, it's pointing back up toward my house so I can capture the license plate, but I never got a, never got around to it. And that probably
0: won't. Yeah, fair enough.
1: So is, is there like the capability either in intensive or anything for it to learn what your car specifically looks like? So, you know, you, your particular make and model of car and color, would it then be able to recognize that as your car?
2: Yeah. So the short answer is yes. The uh, unfortunate reality, though, is that it's probably <laughs> more complicated than even I am willing to dedicate time
0: trying to learn. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, the uh, training object detection and, and image classification models for for AI is uh, it's complicated. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. There's hundreds of thousands of images that are used in order to train these object detection models. And I'm more than happy to, you know, use the hundreds of thousands of hours that, you know, that Google has put into it <laughs> and just be able to download something and use that. Um, yeah. So it, the, the real answer is yes, it's possible to train your own image detection, image classification, uh, object detection models. Um, if you're willing to take, you know, Six hundred pictures of your car, and then manually go through those images and you know annotate them with here's where in the image my car is, yeah, and then you know run a program on your computer for eight hours overnight in order to you know train the model and then test it out to find out that okay, well, it works twenty percent of the time <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair. Um, but I mean, really the, the standard models that are there are pretty, pretty darn good. Um, they're, they're just not, you know, your specific car
0: or your specific face. Yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, man, that it's, it's super complicated, but it's, it's very cool. I know, I know, like I have personally, I've looked in TensorFlow and stuff a little bit in the past. Like I I will not even remotely say I understand a lot of the stuff. High level, I get it. But, uh, but good for you for uh, jumping into that with, uh, you know, jumping in both feet and just completely yeah. blind. And
2: uh, yeah, so I mean, with with that, you know, I'm, it, you know, it's it's not, it's not wrong to say that Home Assistant is on the bleeding edge of these kind of things, you know, with with having the, the ability to have that uh, kind of stuff built into it. Yeah. And you know, anything with computing, you know, what's hard now will be, you know, anybody can do in five years. So I'd imagine that, that things like that are going to be coming a long way in the next couple of years. Um, especially as you know, you know, we're, I don't, I don't think that we're more than five years off of self-driving cars. Right. So as things like that start to come along and technology starts to evolve right now, it's, you know, more for researchers at universities and PhDs. Um, but you know, in, in, five, 10 years, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, it's available for the masses. Sure. Sure.
0: Yeah. That, that would actually be really cool to see. Um, just in terms of, you know, all the stuff that goes into it
2: and also scary (laughs) Uh, for sure.
0: For sure. I mean, I've, I've seen some, uh, machine learning demos and stuff that are, you know, they are pretty crazy. And it's like, and then I was actually talking to uh, a professor, I guess earlier this week, and and we were chatting about you know how far is too far, right? And and even with AI and and machine learning, and how how you know how how far will you go until it's too Big Brother, right? Yeah. So yeah,
2: and I think those are all questions that that we'll have to answer. I, I, I think though that again we're we're a long time off from having to you know worry way too much about it.
1: Yeah. So in terms of TensorFlow. Is that can that be run against a saved video that's come through? Like it so
2: can, for- but not in Home Assistant. Um, okay. So, uh, Home Assistant really the the way that the image processing platform works is you have a camera entity. Yeah. Um, so what you could potentially do is you could use the local file camera, and so if you had something that you know, kind of looked at a recorded video and saved pictures from that video, you know, then you could run those pictures through TensorFlow or, you know, outside of Home Assistant. You yeah. Know, they, you can take a it, video and, and run that through.
1: Because I have the um, the Ring uh, video camera, which uh, when it detects motion, as you've mentioned before, you know, the, the trees flapping around, it'll send an alert to all our phones, you know, oh, there's motion at your, at your front door. And I've, I've actually got... Uh, it hooked up to home assistant so that whenever a a new video is added to ring, it'll just pull in that video down and and save it locally. So it would be cool if I could somehow grab that video that's just been saved and then run it through a, you know, a TensorFlow to see, all right, was there actually a a person in that video? If so, then maybe send another, a higher priority alert so that, you know, we can avoid these false positives all the time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, not, not at this time. (laughs) anything's possible though if any if someone decides you know what that's a cool idea and i want to spend a lot of my time doing it
0: (laughs) yeah that's fair (laughs) so so tell us some stuff about about your own setup so i know you said it's it's kind of minimal i mean in terms of automation and stuff but like like what components do you have in your in your uh uh, setup so i know you mentioned some z-wave switches i think
2: Yep. So I've got uh, I've got one of the the HomeSeer uh, wall dimmers uh, in the living room for uh, for my fan, mm-hmm. uh, and decided that I didn't want to spend fifty dollars per switch, so didn't buy any more of those.
0: <laughs> Fair.
2: Uh, I mean, it's wonderful and it's cool that you can change the colors and have you know specific alerts on the switch, so the LEDs. Um, you know, you can change individually. So if someone needs the garage door open, I can change the third led up to red. Right. Oh, wow. And I can have automations around that, which is, it's actually really cool. I just haven't done it. <laughs> um, Fair. so I've got, I've got some of the, the innovelli switches, uh, mostly everywhere else. Um, uh, the scene control switches, which at one point in time I had, you know, double tap up, uh, turned on everything in the living room for me or, you know, Double tap down on any of the switches turns off all the lights in, in the house. Um, right. And then I have uh, some of the new zoos uh, switches, which allow for four way configurations out of the box, which, you know, all of the other switches you would have to buy companion switches in order to do three way, four way setups. So um, I bought the Indiveles because they had three way switches, uh, three way setups that worked. So you can have a dumb switch and in, in all of the other sockets but you know, in my staircase, I have a switch at the bottom and then a switch in the middle and then a switch at the top and then the light. Right. Um, so that's what it's called a four way setup. So there's a zoo's Z wave switch that, that allows for four way setup, uh, that way as well. So I've got a couple of those. Um, and then, you know, I've got the connected, uh, security. Component set up. Uh, I, you know, I just bought an ESP8266 and flashed their firmware on it. I didn't, you know, buy the, the kit from their website. They're, the firmware is open source as well, so you can use that. Uh, pretty cool. I only have uh, the house that I have or that, that I bought has hardwired sensors for all of the doors. Um, so I've got that to, to kind of monitor that, uh, that door sensor so I don't have to have like a Z-Wave door sensor on, on the doors. Uh, and it's kind of built into the door so you can't see it or anything. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Um, and then for media players, uh, again, I've got my, my custom Xbox component that that I'm running in order to be able to, I use my Xboxes as my media center. So the cable box and the TV are plugged in through the Xbox. And so when I turn on the Xbox, it automatically turns on my soundbar, my TV and my, uh, you know, my TV receiver and and all of that. Um, and Xbox has that out of the bat. Um, but I had no way to turn on my Xbox remotely without reaching for, for a controller. So, um, you know, I turn on my Xbox and Home Assistant, and then the Xbox turns on everything else for me. Um, so I've got, got that. And then a um, couple of cameras uh, and a Nest Hello doorbell, which, again, it's a Nest doorbell, so unfortunately I don't get the live feed from it. Uh, yeah. I'll have to, have to find a way around that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, and that's really it.
2: Uh, that's, that's everything that's in my house. Nothing too crazy. Very cool.
1: And so with all your current automations that you're running, what what would have to be your favorite one?
2: Um, so my favorite automation, uh, is probably the, the one I have for my cameras, you know, when, when I'm not home. And so, you know, as I I described before, really it's, uh, using the HickVision binary sensor components, um, Built in, I guess I have HIC Vision cameras outside, and so when it detects motion, it'll trigger a, a TensorFlow or an image processing scan um, on on that snapshot. And then, uh, as it does that, uh, if TensorFlow detects something, uh, it'll send an alert to to my phones. And really, it's it's really the if that's in there as well. It's you know I've got some template conditions in here. It's like, hey, if I'm home, then Uh, don't worry about, you know, the inside cameras, you know, only send me notifications for the outside cameras. And so really the the reason I'm proud of it is because it's basically a single uh, automation that handles all of the conditions. Um, So I kind of was able to condense it down instead of having, you know, 16 different automations for all of the different types of things I wanted to handle. Um, Just using a lot of the, the template stuff in there to say, Um, You know, do this if we're not home or um, if it's not this camera and, you know, replacing the text in in the notification that I get to include, like, driveway motion detected or backyard motion detected uh, by kind of splitting the entity ID up uh, to to pull that in. Nice one. And then I had to put the text-to-speech notification behind an input Boolean since my wife didn't like it happening all the time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the thing. I guess text-to-speech can be very uh, jarring, especially if you're watching TV or something, and then all of a sudden there's an announcement in the middle of dialogue, or if it just gets you know too noisy.
0: Yeah, it's 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 one of those things where you want to make sure, like you said, it it is <laughs> it is at appropriate times or or what have you, right? Yeah. Exactly. I think I
2: think the uh, the thing that put the nail in the text-to-speech coffin was when when she decided that it was good to it thought that a cat in our driveway was a person at three in the morning.
0: Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. No. I, I can see that not working well.
2: Yeah. So, um, it would have been good though, if it was actually a person because it woke us up. So, <laughs> I guess that's uh, unfortunately, good Unfortunately. Yeah. Un- unfortunately, when it thinks a cat is a person, then it's not as, <laughs> not as helpful.
1: Yeah. So on that, how many false positives are you seeing with your camera setup?
2: So that was very early on. Um, in the the Tensorflow configuration, you can set a confidence level,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: so I was in the process of tweaking that um, i 've got it fine tuned right now to the point where where i don 't get any false positives um, and there's i've only had like one or two misses in in the month or so that it 's been running like that Wow um, and so for me for me, ninety percent was the magic number Nine, you have to be ninety percent confident before alerting me of something, and you know it 's because the camera in my backyard thought that, you know, it was 85% sure that my grill was a car, right? Well, no, 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 my grill is not a car. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so on the other side, are you, do you have the ability to review to make sure that those thresholds are correct? You know, what if someone's sneaking in at 88%, you know, would, how would you determine that you, your settings are correct?
2: So really it's just a matter of, um, I have them set that way. And then I walk around in my daily routines, you know, not just, of course I walk around to to test that I'm still getting alerts and everything, Mm -hmm. but um, you know, as, as time goes by, you know, I'll take a look at the notifications on my phone and I'll be like, okay, well, did it alert me when my wife left this morning? Did it alert me? You know, for some reason, my, my father-in-law picks my, uh, my daughter up from school some days of the week. And instead of coming in through the garage, he likes to come in through the backyard, which you know, okay, fine. Um, I've got a camera back there, <laughs> and so I I check it and I say, okay, my father's picking my daughter, or my father-in-law's picking my daughter up from school. Let's make sure that you know at four fifteen, you know, or around about, I check my phone and see, you know, did I get an alert saying that you know there's people in the backyard? And so you know, up to this point, it's really only been us, you know, my family that uh, that's been alert. And then you know, delivery guys, I get to. It's nice to know when you know um, I have a package ordered on Amazon and it comes in the, you know, it comes in the middle of the day, um, yeah, yeah, you know, because I can see the the delivery person walking up the driveway. But yeah, I mean that's really how I, I tweaked the the confidence level is you know I set it to something and then I let it run for a week and I say what did I miss uh, and if I miss something then I would lower it a little bit and then I'd say well how many false positives am I getting and uh, just kind of tweaking that that value is. Uh, as it comes along, and it's going to be different for every person and every camera as well, because it depends on, you know, where your camera is positioned and what kind, you know, what the resolution of your camera is and, and things like that as well. So. Right.
1: And have you dressed up as a, a robber, you know, maybe put like a, a black hoodie on and, you know, some dark clothes to <laughs> I, try and make sure that those that's <laughs> working?
2: I, I have not, but my dog has has set it off uh, once or twice. I've got a, a 60 pound boxer mix um, and <laughs> we let her outside to go, go to the bathroom. Sometimes, uh, if we do are not fast enough to open the door back up again, uh, she'll jump up onto the door. And so when she jumps up onto the door, you know, she's skinny and tall and camera uh. says, Ooh, that's a person.
1: I guess that's a, I guess know, that's one way to get your attention that she wants to come in.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, haven't, haven't decided to, you know, try and dress up as a robber or anything. I did, you know, when I, when I initially built it, I, I, uh, recruited my five-year-old to stand in different various positions half hidden and half visible and <laughs> crouch down and uh you know hiding behind a tree kind of things just to see what it would pick up and, yeah. and yeah. what it wouldn't so uh
0: she had fun <laughs> I'm sure she did that's <laughs> man as a 30 year old that sounds like fun yeah
1: <laughs> i have to check out the all these new stream components and Maybe I'll have to buy some cameras just to play with them. You can
2: get them cheap nowadays.
1: Yeah, can you? So, all right. So you're using uh, the Hikvision ones, right? Yes. So, do you do? You, how do you power those?
2: Uh, power over Ethernet is is how I have mine set up. So I've got a Unify set up at home.
1: Yeah, yeah. And do they have their own sort of uh, base that they need to communicate with, or are they just uh, communicate directly over the internet, like a you can think? the stream from them directly from the IP address.
2: Yep. You get the stream directly from the IP address. So they're just IP cameras that are set up. I don't, uh, don't have a a specific NVR set up or network
1: video. I know. I see every time I see in Reddit, there's always someone asking, you know, what is a recommended, you know, camera to go for. And so, yeah, these sound like probably a decent one to go for, I think.
2: Yeah. I mean, they're, they're not bad at all. I think I got them for like a hundred dollars a piece. Um, so definitely not cheap. And then you also have to have the equipment to power them obviously, but, uh, and the networking equipment is, isn't necessarily cheap either, but like yeah. even like even some of like the wise cameras that you can flash to whoa firmware on, right. You can get indoor cameras for, you know, 30, 40, $50 that'll still give you a, a live feed stream that you can connect to directly from, from their IP address. So the, the ones I have are, are probably, they're definitely not high end, but, uh, kind of mid, mid range. Um, but if you want to play around with the stream component, really the, the thing that you have to look for is does this camera support, you know, getting a live feed directly from the camera? If the answer is, is yes to that, then, um, you know, you can, you can pick something up in the, you know, 50 to $60, you know, 40 to $60 range or us dollar range anyway.
1: Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, that's decent priced. Mm.
1: All right, well, Jason, thank you so much for all your work on TensorFlow and uh, all your contributions to Home Assistant. Uh, We will leave links to all those components and anything else that we've forgotten to mention today. So thank you for taking the time.
0: Amazing. This is a lot of fun. Uh, This is something that, at least for me, is really interesting. So um, thank you for all your effort uh, that you've put in. Yeah, not a problem. Thanks for having me on, guys.
1: Cheers, guys. Later. Cheers. If you want to share your home assistant journey or come on as a guest, reach out to us at feedback at haspodcast.io. That's H-A-S-S podcast.io.
0: The Home Assistant Podcast is hosted by Phil Hawthorne and myself, Rohan Karamandhi. For links to topics that we discussed today, check out our show notes on haspodcast.io.